Thank you, Andrea and Chris. Appreciate it. Um, before we launch into the message today, I just want to acknowledge that Memorial Day is coming up. And um, can we take a moment just to honor the folks that have served in the armed forces and also those who have given their lives? So um, if you have served in the armed forces, would you please stand up and let us applaud you? Thank you very much. Also, um, before I start, I, I want to say that I know it's been a challenging week in terms of what's going on in the world for many, many people. Um, I'll get more into that as I speak, and I, I just pray that my, that my words are helpful today in some way. I'm not sure that I have any answers to some of the tragedies that we've witnessed in the past week or so, but in terms of preparation, um, I just kept continuing to, to ask Spirit to use me for greater good, to use all of us for greater good, and that we can hold the, the tension of darkness and light here in this sacred sanctuary together and maybe leave feeling with a, a heart that's opened slightly and open to greater possibilities for the world. And how appropriate that you sang that song, my dear. I didn't ask for that song, but she sang it. How, how beautiful that was. Thank you. So um, I'm going to start by just talking about this, this book. And the, the talk title today is, is I Am, I Can. And uh, it's based on the writings of this, this gentleman who wrote the reading, the, the translation of the Lord's Prayer that Hugh did. And his name is Neil Douglas Klotz. And he wrote a book called The Hidden Gospel, which is decoding the spiritual message of the Aramaic Jesus. Neil Douglas Klotz believes, as many others do, and many others don't, that Jesus' native language was Aramaic, and that he spoke to, when he, he was a, it was an oral tradition, that he spoke to the crowds mostly in Aramaic, and that there have been a few, maybe, minor discrepancies, or major discrepancies in the teachings. <laughs> so, uh, a little bit about, uh-oh, it's happening again, people. Yay! Okay, there he is. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so um, a, a little bit about this author, Neil Douglas Klotz. Uh, many of you know that I'm involved with Service Space, which is a global service organization, and we, we serve people all over the world. And he was a speaker at a Service Space event, which I did not attend, but I read about it later on. And he is a, he's multi-faith heritage. His, uh, his, I think his mother was Lutheran and his father was Jewish. And he is also a linguist. He studied many of the Semitic languages and psychologist. And also, I think he considers himself to be a Sufi now. And so he does a lot of Sufi chanting and Sufi dancing because he believes that, that the divine is an embodied experience and the vibration of singing, that's why we sing a lot in this church, the vibration of singing and also the vibration of move, movement helps make the, the word become flesh, helps make spirit embody into matter. He's also a translator, as I mentioned, of, of the Bible and other spiritual texts. Um, and as I said, there may have been one or two tiny discrepancies. <laughs> I say that I laugh. It's tiny discrepancies in terms of how the Bible was actually translated. Ah, there it is. Okay. <laughs> so that's a picture of the Council of Nicaea. Oh, I heard a groan <laughs> over there. <laughs> yeah. So when the Council of Nicaea met, that was in, uh, what, 325 A.C.E.? I got it right, okay. <laughs> All right, thank you. I finally got a date right, thank you. Uh, 325, 
common error, CE or AD if you prefer, and it met, um, now it just made myself nervous because I saw David Kerrigan there who knows like all this stuff really, really well, <laughs> but it met basically to kind of get the, get the Bible into one path that everybody could follow and also to decide whether or not Jesus was the only begotten son of God, okay? They met and they, and they also, um, they had sort of an, a little agenda going on there because the emperor, Constantine, might have abandoned Christianity if they didn't do it the way he wanted to do, them to do it, right? So I want to be this guy in the Council of Nicaea. This guy's asleep on the ground. That, that's, that's what I want to be. So they, they may have taken a few, say, liberties with the texts. Now there's also a story that I read somewhere that I think is really interesting. It's probably um, an urban legend, but it said that they had like, you know, a long time of discussing and deciding what the texts were going to be in the Bible and what the words were going to be. And then when it came time to make a final decision about the four Gospels, right, they, they said they were going to leave the room, lock the door, sleep on it, and in the morning, the four Gospels that made the cut were going to have miraculously jumped from the floor onto the table. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're frisky little devils, ain't they, right? They jumped from the floor to the table, and that was the four Gospels. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I love that story. <laughs> so, in the Neil Douglas Klotz book, he talks about you know, what is I am? What is I am? And we sing, I am remembering who I am every week. And every week I explain it, but every week I kind of struggle to explain it to the depth and the power that I know that it is. I am is certainly our God unitive non-dual consciousness, right? Does that make any sense to you? It's the place within us where we connect with God, where we recognize that, that God is one that there is no separate self, that, that there is this whole beingness that is, that there is only omnipresence, there is only oneness, and we are that oneness with God. Also, I am is. There is an isness to being, an activity to being. I have a picture here of the Interfaith Amigos. They came to our center years ago. The Interfaith Amigos are a Muslim Iman, a Protestant minister and a Jewish rabbi, and they came, they, they all walked into a bar, no, kidding, <laughs> they, all, they all came to our center and they did a talk, and one of the things that the Christian minister said is that in Aramaic there's really not a good word for is. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he really means is, I, I am is the way, the truth, and the life. I am is the way, I am is the truth, I am is the life. Meaning that for all of us, when we center into our awareness of the I am presence, our oneness with God, then we are the way. Then the I am, when we center into that oneness presence of God, we are the truth, we are embodying truth, and that gives us life as well. So I am is the way, the truth, and the life. And then also, I am is not only, it's not a, a static thing, it is, a, it is an a, a dynamic process of engaging the unity of all of us, the unity of all creation. I'm going to read you a quote from, from Neil Douglas Klotz's book. That's a long word, right? I'm just going to call him Neil from now on, okay? Does that work for you? Okay. All right. In Aramaic, the name Allaha, and that's the word that he claims Jesus used for God, is Allaha, refers to the divine. It means, variously, sacred unity, oneness, the all, the ultimate power potential, this is my favorite one, the one with no opposite. Allah, 
that embodied presence is the one with no opposite. And every unique being reminds us of this unity, of this alaha presence, of this place with no opposite. Even though we live and we're hypnotized by a world of opposites, at the core and at the center of all of that, there is this place with no opposite. So what is I can? Remember, the talk title is I am, I can. Neil Douglas Neal talks about the I can-ness of being. So I can is the kingdom of heaven on earth. There was a lot of debate going on in the church in the background about talking about the kingdom of heaven because people think it's like a destination, right? It's a place where you get to go if you have behaved and if you have believed in exactly the right things. We don't see it that way here. We talk about the kingdom of heaven as a place on earth. The kingdom of heaven is here and now. And I often quote the Gospel of Thomas, which says, the kingdom of heaven is spread upon the earth, but we do not see it. The kingdom of heaven is spread upon the earth, but we get to open our eyes and we get to see it. How many of you see the kingdom of heaven on earth when you look at a butterfly? Oh my gosh. <laughs> How many of you get to see the kingdom of heaven on earth when you look at the ocean moving back and forth? How many of you get to see the kingdom of heaven and earth when you look at the compost bin? Oh, I love compost, as you know so well. I love compost. Okay. <laughs> so the kingdom of heaven is not a destination. It is a verb. It is a state of being. It is a state of beingness that inhabits the entire earth. And it is the action of God through all creation. That is the I canness of God. The, actions of, the action of God's presence. God is presence, process, prize, all of, all of the above. The active principle of God working through all creation. Oh, God is such a living word, isn't it? Isn't it? It's such a tiny word for such a big thing. And yet it's easy to say, so we say it. But when I say God, you know, many of us probably have that childhood image of God, right, that pops up in our head. But God is so much more. God is that which is beyond words. God is divine. God is ultimate potential. God is ultimate possibilities. God is a place with no opposites. And if we can start to embody that knowing and feel the I canness of that presence through us, then our whole life changes. This is a translation of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Now, when we were little, perhaps, if you weren't raised in a denomination like this, maybe you thought repent means I need to get my you-know-what together because God is watching me and he's going to smite me if I mess up, right? I said that with a southern accent because I learned a lot about the Bible when I was in the south. Okay then. So, <laughs> repent the kingdom of heaven. Oh, come back here. Come back here, you little stinker. Okay. Repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, Neil says, you could translate it as turn again. Return to unity with unity. <sighs> unity, our oneness with unity. Like the sea flowing back to the shore in ebb tide. Imagine that, flowing back to the shore. We're flowing back to God constantly. The empowering vision, the I can of the cosmos, the reign of all that vibrates, the queendom of heaven at this moment. It draws near, touching us, carrying us away, wrenching us back into rhythm with the vibration of the one. Coming back into the rhythm with the vibration of the one. Can you just close your eyes for just a moment and see where you're at right now? See if there's any agitation within you. See if there's any distress, if there's any worry. And just breathe. Allow the breath to carry you back into that vibration of knowing your oneness with God and knowing your oneness with everything. Even the, the problems that we, that we dream up, even the things that seem wrong with the world, is that part of oneness too? 
Can we get back into that vibration of oneness and know that everything has purpose and everything has presence and everything is an aspect of this being that we call God? The darkness and the light, the good and the evil, all of it, all of it is part of something greater. And how beautiful it is to navigate through all of that with an open heart and to see that there is, there is presence and process in each of it, in all of it. Okay, and then just breathe out and open your eyes again being present with what is right now. Another thing that Brother Neil talks about in his book is the implied importance of community in the Aramaic teachings. He talks about how we align with the inner community. You know, um, I don't know if they say this now in, in our denomination, but have any of you ever heard about the committee, like the committee that you have in your head, right? Bunch of, bunch of voices that tell you what's wrong with you and sometimes tell you what's right with you, but mostly tell you, you know, how you're messing up, how you could be better, how you could be this, how you could be that, the committee. So aligning, with, aligning the committee, aligning it to reconcile it, to, to help it find its place. It's trying to help, but sometimes it's just not helping very effectively. So aligning with it, reconciling it, and forgiving it. So you align with the inner community of voices that we have in ourselves, but we also align with the outer community. And it's ironic because inner and outer really are one. So really, when we align with ourselves, we are aligning with the outer. And when we align with the outer, we align with the inner. You know, the, the phrase that I constantly quote here is, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's one of the few things that I take literally in, in the, the Bible is that when you love your neighbor, you are loving yourself. And when you love yourself, you are loving your neighbor because there truly is only one, right? So aligning the inner and the outer and that there is a necessary alignment with the appearance of both, that we have to align with community, but we also have to align with ourselves, align the voices, the inner community in our heads. Neil Douglas Klotz said, Westerners have been raised to see individuality and community, as well as humanity and nature as separate. In other teachings, individual and community are one, and nature and humanity are one as well. And then think about what's going on in the world, wherever your heart goes with this. And why is this essence of I am, I can, essential right now? This knowing of God in everything, this knowing of God even in places where God seems to be absent. You know that there is a perception of brokenness. I'm sure that many Many of us have felt that perception that there is something grossly wrong <laughs> with the world, something, something grossly inadequate in what we're doing. There were, in the past month, there have been so many shootings. There's the one in Buffalo. There's the one in Texas that was just recent. And I've heard of others, too. There was the one in San Diego that was a, a racially motivated shooting. And, and other ones, too, that did not make the news. And there's a war going on in, in Ukraine, and there's stress, and there's strife, and there's all kinds of desperate situations that seem almost impossible to fix. The concern that I have with all of this and other spiritual teachers who tend to lean into the mysticism of it is, will we use one toxic solution to replace another toxic solution? You know, the people, I, I remember reading about uh, The Gentle Art of Blessing, a book by Prevera Pradovand, who helped 
in Africa move one regime to the next. One regime wanted to take over the next regime. And the, the new regime had all kinds of great values and what have you. But then when they got in power, it seemed to be the same toxic situation that was going on. And are we in danger of that in our world unless we get our consciousness aligned? That's my take on it. Is it possible to find a spiritual solution that empowers everybody, that leaves no one out? Right now, probably to most of it, we don't know what that spiritual solution looks like. We don't know what the end of violence looks like. We don't know what the end of discord looks like. But is it possible in the infinite universe of God that there is a spiritual solution that empowers everyone? One thing we need to look at, I think, is our responses to trauma. How do we react or respond when something traumatic happens? Many of us respond with rage and blame and aggression. This rage, blame, and aggression is not limited to people with guns. It is, it is on Facebook. It is on social media. It is on the news. It is all around us. It is in our conversations. Others of us res respond with despair and helplessness. I personally tend to go more there than to the rage and aggression place, but feeling despair and helplessness can sometimes lead to rage and, and aggression. Confusion. Confusion because we don't know what to do and loss of nuance. There's something that, that happened the other day that I, I want to share with you. Um, last weekend, last Sunday, I spoke about the peace vigil for the shootings in Buffalo. And I ended, I ended up having the energy to attend, and so I went. And it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. There was lot, lots of wonderful speakers. And lots of hope stirred up. And there was a, a wonderful black minister who spoke and his wife sang. I'd love to have her come sing here, but I think she's probably busy on Sundays with her, with her husband's ministry. But at the end of his closing prayer, he said, in Jesus' name we pray. And it was an interfaith gathering. And somebody that I spoke with said, do you think he should have said in Jesus' name we pray? Do you think maybe he should have been more considerate about the people there that were not Christian? And my answer to that was, well, maybe, but maybe the people there who were not Christian could have embraced his way of praying. You know? And I think we're, we're stuck with conundrums like that all the time trying not to step on people's toes, trying to be um, gracious, trying to be kind, but also afraid, afraid of being, say, not politically correct or, or being afraid of offending somebody. When really I think what is called for is greater nuance, greater subtlety, greater conversation, greater listening, greater curiosity. So we're struggling with all of that, too. And sometimes that gets, that gets messed up. That, that gets us to a place where we feel desperate and we feel like we can't move or we feel helpless, right? <laughs> Mentioned this before, information silos, lack of correction. That was brought out in the peace vigil that we have these information silos, particularly on, on news media and social media, where nobody questions. Nobody, nobody is looking at the other's response or, or presenting a different point of view. And... Uh, specifically, they were talking about violence. Somebody on a violent feed can post something violent and everybody can agree with them. And then that adds fuel to it, right? And this is kind of ironic. You know, when COVID first came out, remember everything shut down when COVID first started? And a lot of us, I remember there were all these, these memes going around about that COVID was going to be the reset button for society. 
COVID was going to cause us to remember what we thought was really important. COVID was going to cause us to take a step back, literally take a step back and isolate and recognize that there were, that there were important things in our lives that we were ne neglecting. I don't know if COVID was the reset button. It may have been, who knows? I mean, that's one thing I struggle with is patience, right? Anybody here struggle with patience? <laughs> okay, yeah. Is that, you know, you press a reset button on your computer and it rebuts right away, it reboots rather. <laughs> rebuts. <laughs> it reboots right away. But if COVID was the reset button, it's taking a while. And there may be some depression and anxiety that we have to go through some global trauma that we need to walk through with clear and open hearts before we actually move into a place of grace and a place of common understanding and a place where, where, there's, where there's peace and an understanding of the oneness of all of us. <laughs> what we tend to do when we're confused, when we're despairing, when we're raging, when we're hopeless, helpless, we apply Band-Aids, right? And we call this, in our denomination, we call this treating the symptoms. You know, you know what this is like? Um, I think some of you know that I was, I was a nurse for quite a while. I don't remember how many years. It was a long time ago. Don't ask me anything medical because I'm, I know just enough to be dangerous. So <laughs> just... <laughs> but anyway, I, I worked in oncology quite a bit. And, you know, I imagine, like, you know, somebody's coming in and they have, say, like... I tried to think of a, of a cancer that is pretty uncommon because... I don't want to be pointing the finger at anybody. Let's say they have ocular cancer, cancer of the eye. And they come in and you know, their vision keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And they keep changing their prescription because they think, oh, I'll just treat the symptoms. I'll just treat the symptoms. When really what they need is surgery or chemotherapy or something, something, something other than just treating the symptoms. And I think that we're doing that a lot in what we do in the world is that we treat the symptoms. In, in this denomination in science of mind or uh, metaphysics, we call that treating at the level of effect. We get cause and effect mixed up all the time. We think that we're treating the, the cause, but really we're treating the, the level of effect. And there's, uh, there's many, many examples of what we're doing with that right now. Just use your own minds to think about what might be effect, an effect that we're treating. I don't, I don't, this is a political free zone and I'm not gonna pontificate on any, anything like that, but I think in many situations we are treating at the level of effect and we're having knee-jerk reactions, when really what is called for is something deeper, something deeper. Dr. Martin Luther King, I think he says this way better than I can. He says, for through violence, you may murder a murderer, but you can't murder murder. Through violence, you may murder a liar, but you can't establish truth. Through violence, you may murder a hater, but you can't murder hate through violence. Darkness cannot put out darkness. Only light can do that. And I know that all of us are good people here in this spiritual center. But I think it's important for us to look at ourselves and how we might be participating in violence. Whether it's aggressive thoughts that we're having for somebody, whether it's, uh, whether it's rage at somebody else, whether it's gossiping about somebody, whether it's spreading stories that we don't exactly know are true, because again, none of us know the absolute truth, right? All of us are holding pieces of the truth. I think we need an elbow touching here. Touch your elbow, everybody. Touch your elbow. Okay, you're touching your body, right? Okay, are you touching your entire body? No. Okay, so that's the, that's the relationship that we have with truth, is that we touch a certain portion of the truth and we think that this is absolute fact, but it's not. Again, it goes back to curiosity, listening, and staying open, right? 
The root cause, I think, of many of our situations is fear and ignorance, fear of survival and ignorance of our true nature. Not only our true nature, but the true nature of the cosmos, the true nature of everyone. And is there a spiritual solution? I believe that there is, but it takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of just faith, I suppose, faith that there is a God and that God is bigger than any problem, any situation, any awful condition that the world can dream up. The spiritual solution, I believe, there are many, but this is one, knowing of the I am presence, knowing our oneness with God, and we know that the I am presence does not only encompass ourselves, it encompasses all things. It is in and through all things, all beings everywhere. Even the people that we don't like, it is through them too. It is especially there where we have to do the work, where we have to do the work of courage and holding space for that person to heal, right? The action of I can. The action of I can. There is an I can-ness moving through each and every one of us, and there may be an action that we are called to take in response to some of the situations in the world. It may be lobbying. It may be protesting. It may be praying. It may be getting on our knees. It may be surrendering. It may be just saying, Spirit, God, use me. Use me for the greater good. Use me for the greater good right now in all of my doings. We don't have to wait until there's a scheduled protest or a scheduled march or a scheduled election to do good. We can do good in every single moment of our lives through the power of our minds, through the power of our consciousness, through monitoring our consciousness and, rec and seeing when we are misaligned with peace and realigning ourselves with greater peace and greater knowing and greater trust and greater truth, the truth of oneness, the truth of the power of God, the I can-ness moving through each of us. And then there's that stupid word again, patience, right? <laughs> that annoying word that I struggle with so much, and I saw a lot of hands raised when I asked if others struggled with it too, that, that, word, that patience of just trusting that, oh, remember what I said before, that God is a process? God is a process. And every step of the process is essential or it wouldn't be there. This is a ridiculous example given the condition of the world, but some of you know that I'm writing a, a book, a memoir, and I read in Tosha Silver's book, I read in Tosha Silver's book that she said, she didn't know how to write a book, so she said, God, write this book through me. So I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna try that, I'm gonna do that. So <clears throat> I said, God, write this book through me. Sat down at the computer, crickets. <laughs> Total crickets. But what I'm noticing is that if I start to act as if God is writing the book through me and just type something, eventually I start to see how things line up and I start to see how this connection connects to this. And then, this, this, since it's a memoir, it has, gives me the opportunity to look at my whole life and to say, oh my goodness, that thing that I did in 1980, that connects to something that I'm doing right now. And I think that's part of the mystery of God, is that God is, is both present, past, future, all rolled up into one, all elements of time. I heard somebody, um, somebody on the radio today say that that's a, a good example, a good description of the Trinity. It's, it's, it, they're all elements of time, but they all have different functions. So God is all of those things. And maybe the, 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 the future is informing the past. Maybe the future knew that I'd be standing up here someday talking about this, so it gave me something in 1980 to make this possible. You know, so just trusting that process, just trusting that process and understanding that that is part of patience too, is relying on a power that is so much, so beautiful, so loving, so powerful, so present, so dynamic, that is greater than what our small minds can hold, but that doesn't stop it. It continues to work through us in all things. So reorienting ourselves constantly to that process 
to that presence, to that way of knowing this is part of the I canness of spirit. This is part of what we can do when we're feeling alone or sad or scared or filled with anger. As you know, I often end prayers with in love and service to what is. And I spoke about this last week. It's not about pretending that we like what is. It is leaning into the oneness in all things. I am, you are. I am you, you are me. I am you, you are me. This is part of God too. This is here to bring forth greater good for all of us. The sweetness and adversity. <laughs> and then taking action. But not action from that knee-jerk place that I, that I talked about. Action from a place of deep compassion. Action from a place of deep understanding, deep love. Action from a place of knowing that there is a greater good that we get to have, but it's not good unless all beings get to have it. All beings. All beings abiding and residing in the greater good in the process of God. <laughs> you know in this center that we are partial to acts of kindness. This is a picture, if you can see it, I hope you can see it. It's our friend Ray Davis. <laughs> Ray Davis, who's a, a singer, and his wife, Lori, they're holding up one of our signs that says compassion, and they're both wearing t-shirts that we gave them that say, be kind, be kind. And this is what I was talking about when I was saying we don't have to wait for an election, we don't have to wait for a protest, we don't have to wait for anything to change. We can, we can take the I amness of spirit into our hearts and do the I canness of spirit simply through small acts of kindness. In that way, we become present with what is happening. We move from ignoring what is happening. We move from being at the effect of what is happening. We've, we move from being ignoring to restoring. We restore truth and love and justice for all on the planet Earth. Let's do that now. Let us pray.